Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Nicole Kirby. The 24th of April 2015 is a day of commemoration, mourning and of survival. The Armenian diaspora lives in over 100 countries across the world and on this day they'll be joining together to respect the 1 to 2 million Armenians who were killed as a result of the Armenian genocide. This year marks 100 years since the Armenians were rounded up, massacred, deported and sent on marches to the interior of Turkey where they perished by the thousands. The Turkish government refuses to recognise these events as genocide and the Australian government has followed its lead. On the program this week, I speak with women whose families survived the genocide. We hear their stories of survival, the weight of living amidst that pain, and their hopes for the future. I spoke with Fethiye Çetin from Istanbul, Turkish-Armenian writer, activist and human rights lawyer. Her memoir, My Grandmother, told the story of her grandmother being taken in 1915 by a Turkish officer, She was then raised as a Turk and a Muslim. Many, many years later, she told her family their true identity. As Christian Armenians, Fethiye Çetin's book broke the silence and led to an outpouring of similar stories from within Turkey and across the diaspora. I also speak with Australian-Armenian writer and poet Marcella Polain, whose family lived through the events of 1915. She tells us their story and of the tensions around commemorating and remembering the Armenian genocide alongside Australia's focus on Anzac. But first, you'll hear from Diana Chikarian, part of Melbourne's Armenian-Australian community. Diana's grandparents were from Armenia. Fleeing the persecution imposed on Christian minorities of the Ottoman Empire, the Armenians, the Assyrians and the Greeks, Diana's family left Armenia in the late 19th century. Arriving in Egypt, her family stayed there some time before they left for Ethiopia, where they felt they'd be safer. Diana was born in Ethiopia, but in 1976, facing political instability once again, she migrated with her family to Australia. Here they've made a happy life. I met with Diana to speak about commemoration and remembrance in this year of centenaries, 2015. They left their land, their belongings, everything, and the ones that were lucky enough to have, to have had the foresight to leave those lands, they just left everything and made their way into Africa. Ethiopia was a beautiful country and they were welcomed there and they made their home there. It's something, you know, you, you can't forget. Uh, even if it's a hundred years ago, how can one forget one, one's roots? Children know about these things. They've been told by their parents, by their grandparents, and they then in turn tell their own children and their grandchildren. It's not as though it's a vengeance thing. You mustn't think that we've got a vengeance. But it's hurt us so badly. We we, we will never forget it. And the fact that uh, Turkey does not recognize, does not admit, is what is the worst problem. If they admit it, if they said, yes, our forefathers did this, um, we, we regret it, we're sorry. Yeah, because at the moment Turkey denies the Armenian genocide and Australia currently also doesn't recognise the Armenian genocide. How does it make you feel as an Armenian-Australian that this is a current government stance? 
it's a bit sad that Australia is uh, not accepting and, and recognizing the genocide. They don't even want to use the word genocide. I mean, Australia is such a wonderful country. It's, it's accepted people from all over the world. It's given us um, refuge here and, and so on. But surely uh, a fact is a fact. I just want to say that we have uh, good feelings towards Australia. We're very thankful. Uh, just one little thing is that my, my wish and my prayer is that before I pass away, um, Australia recognizes the Armenian genocide. Thank you. That was Diana Chikarian. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, and I'm Nicole Kirby. This week, we mark the centenary of the Armenian Genocide by speaking with women whose families survived those events. They share their stories and their thoughts on the significance of remembering and recognising the past. From Perth, I spoke with Marcella Polain, poet, writer and senior lecturer at Edith Cowan University. Her book, The Edge of the World, tells of her family's experience throughout the years of the genocide and the lasting effects of that loss. Well, thanks for joining me on Women on the Line, Marcella. I'm very fortunate to catch you just before you leave Australia for Armenia, where no doubt you'll be attending the events to commemorate the centenary of the Armenian Genocide on the 24th of April. Thank you. Yeah, it's lovely to be with you. And yes, I will be at this centennial commemoration in Yerevan on the 24th, which is a great honour. You were born in Singapore, I believe, and you now live in yes. Perth in Australia. So in a sense, you yes. are representative of that Armenian diaspora, which lives in over 100 countries around the world yes. and is spread out across the globe as a result of the persecution that Armenians have suffered in their homelands. Can you tell me a little bit about your family story and your family's movement across the world and their experience in Armenia? It's important to understand first that traditional Armenian homeland was in fact all of what is now Turkey and all of what is now Iraq and so it was an enormous area. Because of its geographical place it was constantly invaded by other cultures coming from the east and the west. However, my family as far back as I have access to which is only my grandmother, my grandmother's generation and that's only through oral history because of the genocide my, my grandmother and grandfather's people came from the kingdom of Cilicia, which is um, now in the southwest corner of Turkey. They were ethnically Armenian Turkish citizens, so much so, so integrated that, in fact, very unusually, my grandmother didn't speak Armenian at all. She spoke Turkish. My grandfather was a prosperous, successful businessman. My grandmother married him when she was very young. It was an arranged marriage, as was the tradition. My mother uh, was the youngest of the 13 children. In my grandmother's lifetime, she and her and my grandfather were subject to a number of waves of genocide. The Armenian genocide is generally understood just started in 1915. That's the shorthand version. But in fact, as is the case with all these, with genocide generally, 
wherever it is in the world, there had been many what we might call pogroms or ethnic cleansings that had regularly erupted over a number of decades. So there'd been trouble for a long time. Anyway, and in 1915, uh, my grandfather, who was a community leader, a business, prosperous businessman, was, was taken away, tortured and imprisoned. My grandmother and many of her children as were with her at the time were rounded up as part of the, the long march, which was the tactic, and were marched east across Turkey. They were told that they were, because of the, the war and the invasions, that they were going to a safe place. But of course that wasn't the case. They were, it was a death march. And my grandmother, who did survive the march, ended up in, in the desert. Somehow she survived that. And my grandfather, in the meantime, was, was spared his life by a compassionate Turkish soldier who was ordered to take him out and shoot him but who took him over a rise and shot over his head and told him to run. Eventually, my grandmother and grandfather found one another. There was in existence an underground network, as it always is, of, um, of good, honest, decent people who tried to protect and save their Armenian neighbours and friends. Through this network, I believe, they, they found one another. After the genocide, they went back to Cilicia, their, their region, and uh, there was another wave of genocide in 1922-23, just in that region, and they were once again caught up in that, once again separated, and uh, once again they found one another a year or so later. In the meantime, however, they'd lost most of their children, and my grandfather died shortly after the second reunion with my grandmother. And my grandmother lived long enough to bear my mother. It was a result of that, of my uh, grandparents finding one another. Before my mother was born, and but after my grandfather died, my grandmother decided she couldn't stay in Turkey any longer. And she made her way on foot across the country and into into Syria, quite a journey, and eventually down into Lebanon, where my mother was born, and then she went on to Jerusalem, where she had heard that her eldest son, who was 20 years older than my mother, was had been seen, and she did find him in the Armenian church compound, which is a, a safe haven, and they settled there. And my mother grew up there and lived there for 17 years until her mother, my grandmother, died. My mother never saw my grandmother last. She said she only saw her mother a mile twice in 17 years. And then it was a very sad smile. So it was a, a really terribly heartbreaking childhood for my mother and one that she struggled with for the rest of her life, as did her few surviving siblings all of whom had um, considerable scars, mental scars as well as physical scars to deal with. My mother being born after the genocide probably escaped, or certainly did escape um, most lightly, but even so, that this just the sorrow of her upbringing was, you know, just was, formed her character, of course. 
stories are, are only emblematic. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not extraordinary in the Armenian community. These are every Armenian diaspora family has a, has a story like this. Yes, and your own story is punctuated by the historical events that were taking place at the time. So. Um, the initial event that you're talking about was around the 19 events of 1915. That's correct. Where, as the Anzac troops were amassing on the coast towards the south of Turkey, around Gallipoli, yes. on the 24th of April, yes. the Ottoman government went and at that point rounded up Armenian intellectuals and cultural elites. And I think yes. it was about 250 that were executed yes. at that moment and then the women and children were then rounded up and sent into these death marches into the interior of Turkey and that marks the symbolic beginning of the Armenian genocide. That's right, that's right, that's, that's exactly correct and my, my grandmother's father, my great-grandfather was one of those leaders and cultural elite who were gathered up on the, the night of the 24th of April and he was hanged from a tree outside in his garden. My family was right at the centre of what was happening, and sadly. Um, but, as I say, this is just such such a common story amongst Armenians. Every Armenian who was in Turkey at that time was affected, and there were millions. So the diaspora is full of these stories. And living in Australia has been... Growing up in Australia has been very interesting in that regard because of the collision of Anzac Day on the 25th and Genocide Memorial Day on the 24th. And that these seem to be somehow in Australia two parallel narratives. Despite the best intentions and some good writing and scholarship, it's impossible at the moment still to have the Armenian Genocide narrative heard. It's considered a counter-narrative. Sure, I can completely understand that the Anzac myth has become very powerful in Australian culture, but you know, history is, is not singular, there it's, it's plural and messy, and like life is, I think there is room for, for other stories to enrich the Anzac story, not to take away from it. Yeah, I mean, what's central to that Anzac myth, I guess, is a certain amount of forgetting as well as remembering. So yes, of course, the Armenian yes. genocide happened in very close proximity to the Anzac campaign at Gallipoli. And in fact, there's been some excellent historical research that shows the encounters between Anzacs and Armenians. And yet yes. what we hear in Australia about that Anzac story ignores that historical research and, and those connections between the Armenians and the the Anzac landings. But that is something that you've written about, is the tension between being in Australia, part of the Armenian diaspora, mm. and watching this Turkish-Australian joint celebration slash commemoration mm. of Anzac Day and and how that feels as an Armenian-Australian to, to witness mm. that. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Over the years it's been gutting, especially to watch from about the beginning of the 21st century the ramping up uh, of the enchantment, I guess, with the, with the Gallipoli landings and, and this forging of a new friendship between Australia and Turkey. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think it's absolutely appropriate and correct that after conflict should come reconciliation between sides. However, what is 
particularly difficult about this is that, as you say, the cost of the friendship that's being forged between Turkey and Australia is the turning away from closing the ears to the history of the Armenian genocide. So that, so much so that Kamal Ataturk is now celebrated in Australia as a great leader. And to stand up and say, life is more complicated than that, war is more complicated than that, politics is much more complicated than that, and that Ataturk was also a dictator and a genocidal dictator, whatever else he might have been as a soldier and a military leader, is not something that Australia wants to hear. I understand the, the, the geopolitical sensitivities. As I said, the ancient Armenian homeland stretched right across Turkey. It was always being invaded. It's still a, a really a potent geographical location, and everybody needs Turkey at the moment to be their ally and completely understand that. Just that we've been, we, that is Armenian, have been fighting for recognition of this genocide for 100 years and many countries in the world have been brave enough to recognize it officially. Australia isn't one of them and I think that needs to change. I think a mark of maturity surely is being able to hold a number of things in one's hands at the same time and not feel the urge to choose one thing and disregard every other view but to be able to hold all the stories at once. We're a multicultural nation. We pride, us, we pride ourselves on that. This settlement is, is born out of dispossession and um, displacement. It seems to me very odd that we're not able yet to embrace all the stories or from all the people who've come to live here. Until we do that, I don't think we'll really be what we think we are, what we, what we have the potential to be. You've been hearing from writer and poet Marcella Pallain. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, and this edition commemorates the Armenian genocide in its centenary year. Next, we hear from Fethiye Çetin, prominent Turkish-Armenian writer, activist and human rights lawyer. In 2004, Fethiye wrote about discovering her grandmother's story. A young child during the Armenian genocide, Herinush was sent on a death march into the interior of Turkey, where she witnessed many of her family perish. Taken from her mother's arms by a Turkish officer, she was then raised as a Turkish Muslim. Her life was saved, but her culture and her family lost. Carrying the secret memory with her for most of her life, as an elderly woman, she finally revealed her story to her granddaughter, Fethiye, who wrote that story in her book, my grandmother. Fethiye spoke with me about the impact of that discovery. Thanks to Annette Nalbandian for interpreting from Turkish. I grown up born in a Muslim parents and uh, because I lost, uh, we lost our father and we did grow up in our grandparents' house, my grandmother's and my grandfather. Um, my discovery just started when I first started to 
when I was just going to start to um, law school, law university. Of course, it was quite a surprising for me because until that day, uh, I didn't have any knowledge regarding of 1915. We haven't been taught anything about it or there wasn't even talk in our household or in the schools about 1915. The, th the things that have been discovered, it was quite surprising for me. Uh, my anger become more stronger so like I was I was quite upset and angry regarding to the governments about their movements like I want to go sort of on the streets screaming like it's the identity like because at school we have been taught that we are Muslim Sunni like it's a, we are Muslim and so we have to follow Islam so um, if I knew my identity that a younger age I don't know what, what my reaction will be so discovering uh -huh. her, her grandmother's identity no doubt had a profound impact on Fethiye herself and she went on to meet family in America but it also affected uh, other people in Turkey and around the world who went on to share their own stories of people who had similar experiences. So the book My Grandmother broke the silence around this issue. Can you tell us about the response to My Grandmother? First of all, that I did recognize that how little amount of ethnics even though have been left in Turkey, they're still going through a suffering. There is um, a pressure on them and uh, the freedom, they don't have freedom enough. That's how I become an advocate of uh, ethnic rights. So because I had to sort of do something for them, I had to fight for their rights. And I do hear these hidden stories. Listening all these stories, I also do hear a lot of similar things. And like here in Turkey, there is a new generation. They're questioning their uh, backgrounds. If they don't know much about their backgrounds, they are questioning if our, if they're uh, if they've got an Armenian heritage as well. Like there is a lot of letters that I do receive from them, or even on the street, the people stops and saying that uh, we don't have much knowledge of our backgrounds, our uh, family history. Do you think that we are Armenian too? People, it's questioning that maybe they do have that Armenian blood in themselves too. Fethiye has also been an outspoken advocate and well known for her role in defending the Armenian-Turkish journalist, Hrant Dink, who was assassinated in Istanbul in 2007. Um, how free are people, including Fethiye, uh, to speak in Turkish society about these issues now? Well, um, as actually that this type of things, it's uh, the Turk is very unusual countries because there is certain things that you think it's it will be um, uh, a wrong to talk about it that you shouldn't be. There is very light stuff that you mention it, you will get penalized for it. But on the other hand, if you do just say something about um, prime minister, then you will get punished. If you don't say anything about the prime minister, you're you're quite okay. Like you don't get punished really. So if you don't question him, you're quite safe at this moment. So you can question him. When we come to the hearings, it's the judgmental. It still continues. The the case still continues, and we're still going to fight until the end the case and uh, the file is still open and still going. So finally, um, I wanted to ask her about 
um, in the book, she describes making the realisation that some of the foods that her grandmother has always cooked, like chorik, a sweet braided bread decorated with eggs and dried cherry powder and fennel seeds, was actually an Armenian specialty, although she never realised that through most of her life. And so as much as the story that Fethiye has told here is a sad story, it's also a story of survival. So as we come up to 100 years since these things have happened, how important is it to keep telling these stories? My grandma helped me without even knowing that to release my freedom. While I was writing the book, crying, and it's sort of like also that healing, my in, uh, inner sh- soul was healing, getting healed. So that's how sort of sh- she gave me the freedom of, you know, like for a humanity. For uh, the people like my grandma and the, the woman in her situation, making chorek maybe it's sort of that they have to have something in their life to hold on. So probably the chorek was one of the items they, they were holding on. Like in Easter time when my grandmother was making the chorek, inviting people over to have it, that sort of, sort of, that was something for her there, a solid something. Sort of she was holding on it so she will be able to continue. And so it's sort of a healing process for us and for them it was a, an, an item like they have to hold on it. Well, I should finish it off with my my grandma's words that I hope all this all all those days will go away to be able to those days to go away and bring a better days for us. We have to talk about nine, those days. We have to rem, uh, remember and talk over it, so then we can have better days in our lives. Bye bye. You've been hearing from Fethiye Çetin. Turkish-Armenian writer, activist and human rights lawyer and the author of her memoir, My Grandmother, that tells the story of her discovering her grandmother's true identity as an Armenian Christian who was taken by a Turkish officer during the 1915 Armenian genocide and raised as a Muslim Turk. She kept that story a secret for most of her life and as a very old woman, she told her granddaughter, Fethiye Çetin, her story. Fethiye Çetin has since become an outspoken advocate for the rights of Armenians and ethnic minorities within the Republic of Turkey today. This edition of Women on the Line commemorates the Armenian genocide in its centenary year. 100 years ago, 1.5 million Armenians were killed as the Ottoman Empire carried out deliberate policies to eliminate their Christian minorities, the Armenians, the Assyrians and the Greeks. On this week's show, you've heard from women whose families survived the Armenian genocide. I spoke with Diana Chikarian from Melbourne's Armenian community, Marcella Pelain from Perth, poet, writer and senior lecturer at Edith Cowan University and author of Edge of the World. And finally, I spoke with Fethiye Çetin, Turkish-Armenian writer and author of My Grandmother. That's all for Women on the Line this week. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so please send an email to womenontheline at hotmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au. 
The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Nicole Kirby, and I hope you can tune in again next time. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.